630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Drop pass, Drysdale McDavid down the middle. Wrist shot, score! Connor McDavid, just like that. Smith, three clubbing right hands. Right hands have it. Big right-handed shot from home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On 6.30 The New York Islanders have just scored to tie the game at two. About a minute and a half into the second period, Islanders and Flyers. Philly jumped out to a 2-0 lead in the first period on goals from Hayes and Van Riemsdyk. Broussard got one back late in the first period. He deflected a shot. His stick blade broke off his stick as he deflected it. Kind of an odd-looking goal. And now the Flyers have scored, and they may... Take a look at this. I don't think it's goalie interference. Just seeing a couple of replays here. It was a shot from the slot. Went off, uh, looked like it went off a Flyers defenseman in front. Casey Zizekas was knocked down on the play and slid into Carter Hart. I mean, there was definitely contact. That's not not debatable. I thought the puck had already gone through by the time Zizekas hit Hart and he sort of spun him a little bit. But now Elaine Vigneault is uh, waving... The referee's over to the Flyers' bench as he looks down at the monitor at his feet at Rogers Place, or at uh, in Toronto, sorry, the other game tonight is at Rogers Place. 18.36 left in the second period. Islanders are shooting the Flyers 11-5. So right now it's 2-2. And, well, again, I have the sound turned down on the TV, but I can tell the referee is announcing that they're going to take a look at this one. So it was a kind of a partial three-on-two. Sezikis got taken down in front. Martin took the shot that, that wound up going in. And I'm really curious to see how they call this. So Sezikis gets tangled up with a flyer defenseman as he's driving the net, Braun, and he kind of falls over Braun's right leg and slides into Carter Hart. And as I see that, the puck is already beating Hart. It's already by Hart. Not by much, but it looks to me like it's already by Carter Hart. As it goes in, Kellen, I don't know if you're watching this back in the studio. If you have I the am. Raptors game on, I've been flipping back and forth. I have, I have the game on right now. Too, I yeah. think that has to be a goal. I mean, maybe yep. it's simultaneously that Sezikis and the puck sort of arrive at Hart, but I, to me, it looks like the puck is already going through Hart. Well, just looking when at- Sezikis collides with him. Here's here's the call. We won't we won't have this the sound obviously, but hmm. we'll get the signal here from the official who is explaining what he saw and pointing to center ice. So that is going to be a goal. goal, And then this is going to be an Islanders power play. The Flyers will get a penalty for losing the goalie interference challenge. So, I mean, the Islanders, like like we were talking about the other day, they did just not go away. They came back to tie game five, ultimately lost in overtime. They were down 2-0 in this one, and now they've come back to tie it, and now a power play to uh, try to take the lead. A minute and 24 seconds into the second period. Later on tonight at Rogers Place, it's the Golden Knights and the Canucks, and Vegas leads that series three games to two. Tomorrow, 
It's going to be game seven between the Stars and the... Well, actually, there could be a game seven. It could be two game sevens tomorrow because the Canucks and Golden Knights are scheduled to play. So there could be two games tomorrow, both at Rogers Place. Not sure how they would schedule them. I would assume the Stars and the Avalanche would be in the uh, in the afternoon. I don't know if they would do 4 and 8.30 or uh, maybe start something a little earlier because uh, of the potential for overtime and it being game seven and wanting to have the best possible ice conditions and, and gap time between games and all that kind of stuff. But I, I would imagine if it's a doubleheader tomorrow, Stars and Avalanche would be in the afternoon. Canucks and Golden Knights would be in the evening. Still got to get there. The Canucks have to win tonight. Connor McGahey is going to be on the show a little bit later on. He's the play-by-play voice for the Avalanche. Uh, always great to talk to him. And uh, who would have thought that uh, going into game seven of the second round, that Michael Hutchinson would now be one of the stories of the series, the goaltender for uh, the avalanche of, of course, uh, you know, they were down to their backup already with Pavel Francois and uh, he's been replaced by Hutchinson and Hutchinson has, uh, has helped them come back in this series and forth a seven, uh, force a seventh game. So Connor will be on to talk about that. So two, two Islanders and flyers NBA tonight, uh, man, the Raptors just cannot get it going. Every, every time you think like they look like they're going to go on a little bit of a run, the Celtics fight right back or, or the Raptors aren't able to capitalize a minute and a half into the third quarter and the Celtics lead at 57-48 and they're already up 2-0 in that best of seven series. And the Blue Jays tonight in Boston. The Red Sox not having a good year. They are 12-25. and 25. The Blue Jays staying alive in the playoff race in this shortened season with an expanded field. They are 19-16 and 16 on the year. The Red Sox lead this one 1-0 in the uh, top of the third. Walker pitching tonight for the Blue Jays. Perez is on the hill for Boston. Steve Nash, one of the all-time greats in Canadian basketball, two-time NBA MVP, now going to be coaching the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, this will be interesting because uh, they're, they're, oh, and the Islanders scored. Hang on. <laughs> There's too much happening, Kellen Kennedy. Really, it's fine. I just, like I said, I catch a lot of these goals out of the corner of my eye. Anders Lee. Uh, Anders Lee. Okay. And this was still on the power play, wasn't it? For the I challenge. Believe so. Yeah, it would have yes. been. So the puck was. Uh, Barzell took a shot from a really sharp angle and the rebound goes straight to Lee coming down the left slot and he just fires it home right under the crossbar. The good old bad angle shot that Rob Brown likes. Barzell basically was maybe two feet above the goal line and his shot was parallel to the goal line. If it doesn't hit Carter Hart, it just would have gone all the way through the crease. But the, the good old pass off the pads, and Lee is right there. So the Islanders, who were down 2 nothing, now lead at 3-2, three minutes into the second period, and they're out shooting the Flyers 16-5. Uh, anyway, Steve Nash, uh, he will be coaching the Brooklyn Nets. Another development there in uh, the National Basketball Association. Got to interview Steve Nash uh, just once. It was pretty cool. Uh, it was, oh man, when was it now? Two or three years ago, I want to say, it, I remember it was the evening of an Oilers game because I went to the morning skate and then uh, before I went back to the rink for for the for the game and to do the, the face-off show, 
uh, I went to the Savile Center and, and uh, uh, Paul Sir from Basketball Alberta, who's on this show regularly and has done a great job for, for basketball in, in Edmonton and across the country, said, I can get you Steve Nash for, for five to ten minutes if you want to come tape it. So we got uh, Steve and I went off uh, in, in a hallway to, leading down to a dressing room and got to sit and, and tape an interview with him. So that was that was pretty cool. Definitely one of the biggest names that I've ever had the chances to speak to. So he will be coaching the Brooklyn Nets. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and EE Radio 630. Chet, I am happy to hear from you. 780-496-0063 is the number to both call and text. And now, by the way, the Flyers have gone on a power play, though a quick shorthanded chance for the Islanders is gobbled up by Carter Hart. 780-496-0063 is how you can get in touch with me. Uh, I've, I've got another text message today from a co-worker. When, when the, the playoffs going to end? Whatever everything goes game to game sevens. Yeah, well, we're still waiting for, for this round to end. And the, the original original plan put out by the NHL was October 4th for Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Now, they've been trying to clip through things here, and there's still speculation that the Eastern Conference Final could start in Toronto. They might play Game 1 in Toronto before moving those two teams to Edmonton. Um, but again, we don't even know who those two teams are going to be because the Islanders and Philadelphia still have to finish uh, finish that series. But uh, they, they, they have not wanted to have uh, very many days. I think the only days we've had without hockey was after the after the um, the qualifying. I forgot what it was called there for a second, Kellen. The qualifying round uh, when they did the draft lottery after that. Mm. Joel, the electrician, says, love hearing you talk basketball. Thanks, Reed. Well, Joel, I'll tell you what. Uh, I enjoy talking basketball too. I, I look though often. I think it's better off if other people come on and talk basketball because, like I said, we got Paul Sir and a bunch of other people in this city who are, are better equipped to talk about it. I do want to bring this up though, and, and I find this really interesting. And uh, I, I, I like basketball is a, a pretty popular sport. I mean, obviously we don't have an NBA team here, but youth basketball is very strong. Um, you know, I, I briefly worked for for Basketball Alberta about. Uh, 12 or 13 years ago. That's when I first met uh, Paul Server and Gerhardt was the executive director there uh, at the time. And then Paul took over. Um, and I, I, you know, I got to know some, some coaches and I mean, very passionate coaches. It's very big in the province. And it's, it's, this is one thing that really interests me about basketball in the NBA is the evolution of the three point shot. And I, I tr- believe of all the things I've, I've seen in my vast experiences roaming the globe, and by roaming the globe, I mean uh, living in three different communities along the Yellowhead Highway, Evansburg, Edmonton, and Lloydminster. So, so, but anyway, I don't think there is anything that has transformed a sport like the three-point line in basketball. And I guess this is one of those one of those fun discussions where there is maybe no right or wrong answer. There's certainly been rule innovations and and technological innovations and and things like that that have changed sports over the years. The NHL introducing three-on-three overtime has been pretty significant, but that's only at a very specific part of the game under a very specific circumstance. I I don't think there's been anything that's transformed a sport like the three-point line. And what's interesting to me is it's, it's now basically the main way that you score points in the NBA is shooting from three. I, I mentioned this the other night, and Paul Sir and I talked about it 
the the big guy who uh, gets the ball at the top of the key and tries to back down his defender and muscles his way in, you know, like Shaq or Patrick Ewing, you rarely see that anymore. I mean, certainly you have to be able to score inside and drive, but as Paul said, layups and three-pointers. If you're not shooting a, a high percentage two, you might as well shoot a three. I mean, why why shoot from 17 feet if you can go back five or six feet and and shoot the three? And when the three-point line was introduced into the NBA, just bear with me with these stats. I, I You know, I try not to hit you too much with numbers because I know what you're, um, you know, when you're driving around and stuff. But just, just process this for a second. When the three-point line came into the NBA in 79-80, uh, I, on average, uh, an NBA team attempted 2.8 three-pointers per game. That's it. 2.8 three-pointers per game. So, like, really, if you shot five or six three-pointers in a, in a game as a team, you were you were really firing away from downtown. Like, you were going nuts from long range. Over one a quarter. My goodness. But after a decade uh, in 89-90, it had crept up to 6.6 three-point attempts, three-point attempts per team per game. So, you know, basically, basically tripled. And then it really started to take off by by uh, ninety nine two thousand up to thirteen point seven, and then uh, in oh nine ten it was up to eighteen point one. And now think of this: this year, three point attempts per game per team in the NBA regular season thirty four. So that means that teams are combining for sixty eight three point attempts per game. It was under six when they introduced the three-point line. That's a, like that. That's such a complete transformation of, of the approach to the game, and and you know, as Paul Sir said, analytics played into. Like if you, if you shoot thirty-three percent from three, you will get more points than shooting forty-five percent from two. So teams figure you might as well shoot the three, take shorter possessions, get the ball back, and, and keep firing away and defend when you can, and and that's the formula now in in the NBA. Certainly, size and and inside play and all those kinds of things are important, but it, that is really transformed. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting to point that out. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three is the number to call or text. Of course, we'll keep you updated on the Raptors and all the other scores. It's Inside Sports on six thirty chat. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Raptors down three to Boston, five minutes left in the third quarter. Islanders lead the Flyers 3 2 halfway through the second. Jim has called in. Jim, you're on with Reed. Go ahead. Hey, it's been a long time. Okay. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Reed, I want to talk a trade with the owners. I think we have to, to get something good, we have to give up something good. I know your friend during the day won't like this at all, but I'm going to say it anyhow. I think we need to get rid of Nurse and maybe a couple of other players. I think he's one we can afford to do, and I think we need to trade him. I think that uh, I think Nashville's got a goaltender we could maybe look at. I mean, there have to be goaltenders out there that are better than what we have, and this is the one area the Oilers have to improve in this year. 
Well, I agree they have to find a goaltender. The, the thing I would wonder, Jim, and I was saying this the other night, is because there are so many goaltenders who appear to be available, either through free agency or through the trade market, I, I wonder if you can be careful not to overpay for a goaltender. Uh, like I, I'm not averse to training anybody. I, I understand uh, you know, some people don't like Nurse. I think he's a pretty solid second-pairing defender. I think when he has to play too much, his play slips a little bit. And, uh, you know, when he's had to fill in on the power play, he hasn't been great there. I mean, some people are talking about trading Clefbaum. And, uh, no, you know, I, I, would... think, I think that's a bit of a risk. Yeah, I mean, I, I would look at Nurse. I was not impressed at all with him uh, as far as the playoffs go. I just think that he did not have a, uh, uh, the year we were hoping. And let's, make, let, let's face this for a minute. If we're going to trade for something, we have to give up something. And I think we've got a lot of young defensemen in, our, in the minors in the next couple of years, we're going to be forced to do something, and I'd rather just do it now. And the other, the other thing, if I may ask you or talk to you for a minute, there will be no NHL next year if this is like it is. They're not going to uh, do the bubble for all 80 games. It just won't work. They did it this year. I mean, the owners want to make money. They're not making money. They're not making any revenue whatsoever. And I just can't see uh, hockey going starting next year at all if it's like it is now. Well, they still are getting at least some TV money. Um, they may not do 82 games. They may they may do 60 or 70, or or they may yeah. start they may start with a bubble and then see if they could travel out maybe in February or March. But I, yeah, I understand yeah. why I understand why you would say that though. I mean that's yeah. that's a fair comment. I mean the the owners want to make money. They're not going to make it with no fans in the stand. They're not going to make any revenue whatsoever, and they're not going to do this again. Uh, so I think it's going to be harder sell. It's an easier sell because we're we only had. You know, we're almost at the end of the, the season, anyhow. But to and then and then you can't pick if you're to do this. What what arenas are you going to pick in the states? There's not one that they I wouldn't. Think of that you'd pick. They wouldn't. I bet you they would do Vancouver, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Toronto. Well, that's what I that's what I said too. But so I mean, I, I can't see this going like this next year. I mean, I, I give the Oilers and and the NHL credit for this year for for doing this and, and doing all the COVID tests. But I just can't see this going into uh, a year like this. Yeah, appreciate that, Jim. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Take care, Reed. Tell you what, uh, Bruce is on the line. Bruce, I'm into the final minute here before I have to break for the news. So if you don't mind hanging on for about uh, five minutes and 42 seconds, I can get you in uh, right out of the 6:30 news because I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to cut you short since you've taken the time to call in. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three is our number, and uh, you can also use that to text. We'll get to Connor McGahey in the next half hour of the show as well. Play by play voice for the Colorado Avalanche. That has been an entertaining series. He will further enlighten us before seven o'clock. home for all the news and expert opinion inside sports with reed wilkins on 630 chad all right so here's how the scoreboard is looking the flyers have tied it up 3-3 raffle with the goal at 13 21 of the second period now 5 11 to go in the second flyers and islanders 3-3 but an hour and 10 minutes away from face off between the golden knights and the canucks vegas up 3-2 in the series, uh, 76-74 for the Celtics over the Raptors with a minute left in the third quarter. Red Sox lead the Blue Jays one nothing in the middle of the fourth. And Steve Nash, uh, Canadian basketball great, has been hired as the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. We will go to Bruce on the line at 780-496-0063. Bruce, thanks for calling Inside Sports. 
Hi, Reed. How are you tonight? Good. Good. Got a question for you regarding the Eskimos or whatever their, whatever their name's going to be. Yep. Do the players have to sign a new contract regarding the name change, or are they still legally bound to the Eskimos? No, no, they'd be they'd be bound to the football club. Yeah. Right. Now, does yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't matter. The name wouldn't matter. Yeah. So since the season was canceled, does that take one year off their contract, or does that get extended? You know what? I don't think they they've decided that yet. Because uh, I asked, uh, who did I ask about that? I think I asked Sunderland that when the season was canceled. I don't know if they've determined that yet. I have seen that if a player opts out of his contract to try out for the NFL, yes. So if he so if somebody was going into the final year of their CFL deal and they opt out to try out in the NFL, they will be a free agent in February. If you had a contract that expired in February of 22 and you opt out, then you you stay with your current CFL team if and when you come back. Okay. All right. uh, but I think, yeah, I don't I don't know if they've actually formally announced that, Bruce. To be honest with you, I got to double check. Okay. Yeah, because I wasn't too sure what was going to happen with the name change of the team and stuff like that, and I wasn't too sure if there was legally something that the player could opt out and go somewhere else. No, no, because it still would probably be registered as the, you know, as the football club probably has some legal name or something like that, right? Right. Okay. That's what I'd ask. Yeah, appreciate that, Bruce. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Trucker Brad says, uh, "Why do people always want to trade our defenseman? Don't they realize it takes three years before a defenseman starts to get his bearings? And why would you want to trade Nurse?" He's uh, well liked in the room. I think going forward, you need you need toughness if we are ever going to make the playoffs and make a run for it. That is from Trucker Brad. Josh says, uh, Reed, despite the Oilers improving in the regular season, then coupled with their humiliating defeat to Chicago, I just feel the Oilers have so far to go in order to compete with the Knights or the Stars or the Abs in the West. They are the big boys. I just never see guys like Yamamoto or Dreisaitl ever being affected in the playoffs like Ben in Dallas. Oh, yeah, Josh. Well, a few things there. I think I, uh, I'll i counter a couple things there. First of all, and I've, I've said this a hundred times over the last few months, the Oilers are a good team. I mean, this, this is not the team that was continually finishing 28th, 29th, and 30th and drafting really high they, they, they had they had a good year I, I mean i realize there's still weaknesses on the team but i personally i think it's pessimistic and maybe overly critical to to talk about them as as you know an also ran or a, or a or a bottom feeder i guess would be a better term but they're not a great team and yeah to really compete with uh, with those top teams in the west they, they need to round out the roster and they're going to need more playoff experience and they're going to need higher end goaltending um I, 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 Josh, I, I would, I would question a little bit being critical of Yamamoto in the playoffs. I, I understand they need him to to be effective going forward and be a top six player. Um, personally, I do go a little easier on younger players when you're when you're doing something for the first time. He had, he did say in his uh, year end availability that the Oilers did with with a couple of players a week after the season ended that that he kind of came out too hyped up in the first game and was running around and trying to do too much and got a little too excited for the postseason. Um, 
Dry Seidel, like most of the other team, like everybody else on the team, wasn't at his best in the playoffs. The expectations are high for, for him. Uh, I thought Dry Seidel was pretty was quite good in the playoffs in 2017 uh, when the Oilers made it three years ago. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I Josh, I, I don't know. Like, I'll, I'll challenge you here, Josh. I don't know how you can say on September 3rd, 2020, that Leon Dreisaitl and Kyler Yamamoto will ever be effective in the playoffs. Like, I, I think you're upset that they lost and 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 you wanted more, but I, I'm not sure if you can point the finger at those two players and say that they'll they'll never be effective in the playoffs. That that that's how I would look at that, but. To me, the, the Oilers didn't lose to Chicago because of two, three, four, or five individuals. I, I think pretty much every individual uh, on the Oilers could have given more. And a lot of elements in their game could have given more. I mean, they, they lost one game because of, you know primarily because of a bad penalty kill. I didn't think either goalie was as good as they needed to be. I didn't think the team as a whole checked well enough. The, the way I look at that Oilers series against Chicago... They were they were at about seventy percent of where they needed to be in pretty much every area. Maybe you'd say the power play was pretty good, but even in Game Four, they had a couple chances to get a go ahead goal on the power play, and they didn't. And you can get away with a couple areas of your game being subpar or mediocre as long as some other areas are really clicking. If everything is kind of you know middling, you're going to lose, and that's that's what happened to Edmonton. That's that's how I look at that. I, I, I certainly wouldn't write off Drysaddle or Yamamoto as as never being good playoff performers. Uh, this texture says, uh, "Hey, Reed, you said Steve Nash was one of your top interviews. Can you actually come up with what you would consider your top three interviews ever?" These are people you have actually interviewed, not ones that are still on your bucket list. What about people I've imagined that I've interviewed? No, those don't count. That it'd be tough to pick three. And I think with Steve Nash, what I would say he would be a top interview in terms of the the stature of uh, the the person, what he accomplished, his legacy as a Canadian basketball player. Um. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to to look at interviews. Sometimes you just get interview someone who's an incredibly big name. Uh, I, I've, I've had two opportunities to interview Mark Messier one-on-one and he was very good. He's very well-spoken. He's very polished, but that was really cool to get to talk to them. He's not as available as other, you know, Oilers alumni. I've interviewed Wayne Gretzky actually more than Messier. Um, some people might think it's, would be a big deal to interview Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl or Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Well, I get to do that relatively routinely. So there's a, is it, is it just someone who's a big name? Like if, if you asked me my top three interviews, I would probably say I would probably go for most memorable interviews. And I would probably say someone that was entertaining and well-spoken and interesting, but also somebody unexpected that I really never would have thought I would have got a chance to talk to as the Islanders score to go up four, three. So when someone asks me about a top interview, I say Gene Simmons from Kiss, who I that interview fell into my lap about five years ago. Uh, we had Crazy George on the show two or three years ago, and that was that was pretty fun. And again, just you kind of try to track a guy down, and he does the show. But then there have been so many interviews 
with just really genuine, interesting people. And we did one a couple of days ago with Amanda Rummery, the, the Edmonton-based Paralympian, who had a couple of her bikes stolen, but she came on the show and told the story of, of having her arm amputated and becoming uh, a top Paralympic sprinter in Canada. To me, that was an awesome interview. Maybe she wouldn't be known around the country or around the world and was probably maybe isn't even that known in Edmonton, but that would be a memorable interview. So there's a lot of different ways to go, go with that, but I appreciate that question. All right. Uh, so four, three for the Islanders as the second period winds down Connor McGahee. When we get back. Hi, this is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers. And you're listening to inside sports with Reed Wilkins on six chat. McKinnon is back there to help out. He spins away. McKinnon loses an edge. Keeps the puck though. McKinnon hands it off for Gerard. Shot through traffic. Never made it. Blocked again. McCarr down low. He scores! Oh, hell, hell! Well, that young man has a great voice. Connor McGahee from Altitude Sports. Play-by-play for Colorado Avalanche Hockey. Man, it was looking like... Would have been the offseason for the Avalanche, but they have fought back to force a seventh game against the Stars tomorrow night, and Connor McGahee is on the line now. Connor, how are you doing? Good, Reed. How are you? I'm doing awesome. It's great to have you on the show, and I've been enjoying uh, hearing your voice on some <laughs> of the highlights we, we download. First of all, uh, like what an entertaining series. No shortage of goals. I don't want to shut it off till the last second because there have been comebacks and wild <laughs> plays. It, it, has been, it has been, a for, for me as a neutral party, it has been a really entertaining series. Why? It's been the one of the most ridiculous playoff series, I think, ever. I mean, we've, for three nights in a row there, there was an NHL record of some sort set uh whether it was dallas uh being down by a couple uh, or sorry the avalanche being down by a couple and then dallas coming back to be up by two and then the avalanche winning by two uh to have 13 different players who get points in one period for the avalanche in game five uh it it has just been completely unpredictable Uh, Every aspect of it, whether it's injuries, whether it's goaltending, whether it's goal swings. I mean, you've had two instances of runs of five goals in this series, in a playoff series. Not just a first round, it's a second round. And you had another one of four last night. So you've had six runs of two and three runs of three and then now a run of four. Two runs of five. It's just been, it has been bonkers. And for those who are fans of either team, I'm sure that the the heart conditions are uh, are being checked on on a regular basis. But you're right. For the neutral party, uh, I bet it's it's uh, it's been excellent viewing. Uh, I, I got to bring him up again. We we talk about him every time we do an interview. But uh, Kale McCarr, fourth mm. of the playoffs last night, goal wise, continues to rack up points and, and and just be outstanding. I mean, I, I say this every time we talk, but it's like he's it, he's clearly actually thirty two years old and has played twelve hundred <laughs> NHL games, and uh, that's the real Kale McCarr story. Well, I mean, right, and this is a he's a he's his own portal into the future is what Kale McCarr is because especially watching him go up uh, against a player like Miro Haskinen, two guys that could, in fact, compete for Norris trophies uh, for many years to come, knock on wood, if everything goes according to plan. But for Kale McCarr, um, uh, of course, uh, battling with Quinn Hughes, 14 points and now 15, that's most 
uh, by a rookie defenseman in a playoff run in NHL history. Uh, and it's not just the offense that that everyone seems to see. They, they saw that coast-to-coast goal in the Arizona series. The way he snuck in last night and, and really, um, uh, beg your pardon, the way he snuck in last night and... Uh, and put that goal home, which is his third game winner of the playoffs. It's his ability to play defense as well. There was a play, uh, I believe, in the second period where he lost the puck. Sagan is on the hop. He's about, I don't know, eight or nine feet in front of him is Sagan. Kale McCarr is able to catch up with him, shove him off the puck, go into the corner, and then squeak out of the corner with the puck. His defensive prowess, his ability to hit, uh, is almost as impressive as when he has the puck and is skating with it through the neutral zone or or quarterbacking the power play. He is the complete package, and he continues to impress on a nightly basis. And don't forget that when he flubbed that puck behind the net uh, three games ago, it ended up being the game winner. And he didn't let it fluster him. He was upset in the time, but after that, he's been arguably the Avalanche's most solid and best player, and that mental security is is one of the best aspects of Kill McCarr's game as well. Connor, uh, another name that has emerged in this series is Michael Hutchinson. I, I mean, who would have thunk that he would be able to jump in and and now going into Game Seven? And look, obviously we've we've known about this player before. I'm looking back on the stats, played uh, over 30 games a couple times with the Jets. He's he's been with the Maple Leafs, brief stint with the Panthers. I mean, every everybody who knows hockey uh, knows this guy, but also knows he's played for I think 11 pro organizations, and now uh, all of a sudden huge game coming up tomorrow yeah yeah I mean and and Hutchinson is one of the nicest humans you'll ever meet and there's the the famous story about when Jack Campbell was traded to the Leafs from LA as a backup and Michael Hutchinson found out on the airplane and his first thought was well I I hope that Jack is ready for what he's going to get into immediately thinking of other people and not himself those those type of stories are are more than abundant he's kept his his nose down and he's kept going and Jared Bednar calls him not a low maintenance player but a no maintenance player that's exactly what he's been in the bubble he's been on the ice with both groups both the, the the starters and then the extras who are up there in Edmonton. Uh, and so for Michael Hutchinson, this is not only a great story, but it's been backed up with some results. The, the one goal that got past him in game number six obviously was not a good goal at all. Wasn't tipped, just went clean in. Hutchinson thought he had it in his glove. But after that fact, the team in front of him, uh, blocking shots, directing things to the corner. Hutchinson makes 16 saves in a row, and the Avalanche get the 4-1 win. Uh, part of that is in thanks to Nikita Zadorov's goal with 30 seconds left in the first period to sort of settle everybody down. But the fact that a goal like that didn't rattle him or the team in front of him was was impressive. And he's now 6-0 and versus the Dallas Stars if you go all the way back to 2014. So he's come in. He's provided some stability. Uh, simple goal doesn't take a whole lot of risks, and that's exactly what the Avalanche have needed to really uh, sort of get this thing back on track. It's interesting what you bring up about his attitude and being a known maintenance player. And as and as you know, I work with uh, with Rob Brown after Oilers games, and he comes on my talk show quite a bit. And he, he always says about if you're a backup goalie 
Uh, you better be hard working. You better have a great attitude. You better not say anything when the slap shot buzzes past your ear in practice. <laughs> so it, it feels like, you know, so that, that's why I, I think it's an even cooler story for Hutchinson, right? Because he's sure. had to play that uh, play that role most of his career. Well, well, right. And he's been all over North America. Uh, a lot of time in the minors, as you mentioned, obviously the starting streak in Winnipeg prior to Connor Hellebuck. But uh, he's the perfect personality to be that guy. And sometimes you're just uh, right in your wheelhouse, right where you're supposed to be. And, and all that patience, all all that time of doing the right thing all the time is paying off right now. Um, and he's made everyone who's ever known him proud, and he hopes that that continues tomorrow night uh, in Game 7 uh, versus Dallas. Connor McGahee joining us on Inside Sports, talking a little bit about the Avalanche and, and the Stars. Landeskog, uh, the cut last night, is he... Mm. Well, I guess the, they're not saying much. Do you have anything uh, new there? No, and, and that's where everybody is on a level playing field as far as information. Uh, Jared Bednar spoke earlier today. He said probably won't know until close to game time tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, Landis Gog, much like Zadorov and Johnson earlier in the series, came back out of the locker room in full gear to sit on the bench and be with his team for that entire third period, even though uh, he did not play a minute in the third. Uh, so um, we don't know the severity of that. Connor Timmons was the other one. He did not return for the third period. Um, and we hope that it, it's not what we think, given his, his history. But... Uh, the Avalanche have been supremely unlucky when it comes to, to injuries. But to, as far as the captain, we may not know uh, until uh, warm-ups tomorrow in Game 7. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the the, the vibe in Denver right now. Uh, you got the Nuggets. Uh, you got the Avalanche going. Obviously, the NFL's coming up. Uh, the Rockies are doing uh, okay. I guess with the expanded playoff field, they're still uh, they're still hanging around. Uh, who's, who's getting the headlines right now? Well, right now it's the Avs and the Nuggets because yeah. if Colorado does pull off this Game 7 win, uh, it'll be the first time in history that both teams from the same city uh, in different sports have come down, fr- come back from down 3-1 to one, uh, to win in, in 7. It's never happened before. Denver's the only city left that has two teams uh, left in the playoffs in two different sports. So it's definitely Avs one night, Nuggets the next. And uh, they've been alternating. Nuggets start their series versus the L.A. Clippers coming up tonight. And the Avalanche hope that they continue uh, after tomorrow in game number seven. But uh, there will always be Broncos uh, headlines as, as camp gets going. Uh, it's a bit different uh, where there's been no preseason and uh, no fans can attend Rockies games. But, but as far as talk of the town, at the moment, it's definitely uh, the cardiac kids of the Avalanche and the Denver Nuggets. Well, I, I don't know if you heard the Nuggets got this Canadian guy on the team, eh? That's pretty cool. Uh, uh, yeah, I got it. It's uh, <laughs> Jamal uh, Murray. That's right. the one. Yeah. yeah. Every yeah, Canadian's reminding you of that over the last couple of weeks. Right? <laughs> oh, trust me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, and he's he's earned the respect. He's earned the headlines. I mean, fantastic performances uh, from Jamal Murray uh, to get the Nuggets to, to where they are in round number two. Connor, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for us. Uh, have a great call tomorrow night. Is this uh, how many game sevens have you done? You would have done the one last year, right? Uh, correct. Uh, so yeah, this is just uh, number two doing doing play by play and uh, been a part of of other ones in different capacities, but actually calling them this is this is number two for me. But as Nathan McKinnon said last night, uh, uh, he doesn't plan on losing three game sevens in a row. 
All right. Sounds good, Connor. Thanks for checking in. Connor McGahee, play-by-play voice for the Colorado Avalanche from Altitude Sports. Awesome voice. Love talking to him. That should be a good one tomorrow night. That's been a fun series to watch. A lot of goals. Raptors down 89-87 with 7.46 left in the fourth quarter. And the hockey game, it's 4-3 for the Islanders with the third period coming up. Bob Stoffer when we get back to Inside Sports. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.